so thankful for the Christmas season and that we get to celebrate Jesus' birth together. And if you're here or online, we're together today to celebrate. He is a mighty, mighty Savior. And I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit because he continues to reveal this Savior to us. And that's what I'm going to ask him to do today. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. You are a teacher. You reveal the deep things of God. But more importantly, you just reveal how magnificent Jesus is. Thank you. I invite you to do that today. You would breathe on the written word, the spoken word, our hearts. You know what each of us needs. So we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Several weeks ago, I interacted with a man. He was raised in a Hindu home in another country. And he shared with me how when his mother was pregnant, she contracted malaria. And because of that and the drugs that she took, when he was born and began to like go to school, he had tremendous learning difficulties. And by the time he's like 10 or 11, uh, not only is it just extremely difficult to learn, now he's suffering the torment of classmates. You know, they're uh, accusing him of being dumb. They're shunning him for being stupid. I mean, they're, they're basically tormenting him because he can't learn. He, he, he just can't, even though he's working extremely, extremely hard. Well, as he's telling me this story, my heart is broken. Many of you know, I was a, a former special education teacher, and that my heart gets touched, particularly when students are made fun of by other students because they're, they're struggling or they're in the low group or, you know, whatever that might be. Well, then fast forward about a week, and it's early in the morning, and I'm praying. And I, I'm praying about people that I know, that I love, they're struggling, they're suffering, they're in conflict, they're, they're in pain. Some, some are even dying. And I find myself just saying these words out loud. I don't like pain. I don't like suffering. I don't like conflict. I don't like death. And then almost immediately, I hear a voice. Neither do I. And I knew immediately, it wasn't audible, but I knew it was the voice of God. And then almost like unconsciously, I say back, then why is the world so full of so much pain and suffering and conflict and death? Actually, why is the whole biblical story full of so much suffering and pain and death? Why don't you do something about it? And almost immediately, same voice, I hear, I have. Of course, he has. Of course, Diane, he has. God has done something. You know, that is the glorious, profound, often mysterious truth wrapped up in not only the Christmas story, but the whole biblical story. God has done something. And his invitation, our invitation, is come and see. Come and see what God has done, because he has done something. But 
It's easy to forget God has done something, particularly if you're in the middle of pain or suffering of any kind. But this I know after many years. The presence of pain does not mean the absence of God. Amen. But it's hard. Well, our Christmas message is come and see. And we were captivated by a Christmas song called Noel. And the refrain in that song is come and see what God has done. We're going to be singing that throughout the season here. And the lyrics of the song have a very deep theological meaning that are important, though, for our everyday lives. And we want to know, how do you take deep theological truths and integrate it into your everyday life, right? Now, Julie noted last week that the word Noel is actually a Latin word. And we sing Noel, many times we don't even know that that word means to be born. So obviously, we use the word Noel at Christmas because we're celebrating Jesus' birth. And she focused on Jesus was what? Born to love. And this week, I'm going to look at another lyric in that song, and that is Jesus was born to save. Jesus, our Savior, was born to save. So my question is, save us from what? Suffering, pain, problems, our enemies? I mean, my friend Harry, he definitely needed that. Save us from sin? Sickness, death, yeah, I mean, I need that. (laughs) It's important to know what our Savior saves us from. If we're inviting you, come and see. Come and see what God has done. We want people to be able to experience that, to receive it, to, to actually believe. What has God done? And it is quite common to misunderstand what God has done (laughs) or to forget, as I, you know, did the other morning, to actually miss what God has done. And when we misunderstand or we miss or we forget, it does hinder our faith, our ability to trust him. Come and see what God has done. Well, the complete phrase from which this message is taken from that song is, Come and see what God has done because he was not only born to save, but the the lyrics go, born to suffer, born to save, born to raise us from the grave. That's a fuller picture of what God, our Savior, has done. And I'm going to look at all three because we can miss the fuller picture of what God has done. I've missed it. Throughout periods of my life and, you know, maybe in moments of the day, miss out what God has done. And I want to be a person who can come and see what God has done. I want to experience, I want to believe all that our Savior has done. Now, we aren't the first people to miss what God has done. No, because that's exactly what happened with God's chosen people, the Israelites. That really hit home for me last summer when I was in Israel. So our guide, Sonia Waters, was this amazing, brilliant, Cambridge-educated, born into a Jewish home on a kibbutz, but she meets Yeshua. That's the Hebrew word for Jesus. And she becomes this fantastic, spirit-filled, messianic Jew. Now, she knows Hebrew. She reads it. She speaks it fluently. And so 
It was so fascinating to hear her share so many insights. And one of those insights was uh, the, the committed Jews, you know, who are practicing Jews, they so value the scripture. And obviously that's only the Old Testament scriptures, of course. And she said they, you know, they read it, they study it, they memorize it. And we witnessed this uh, when we were at the wall in Jerusalem. You know, there's hundreds, sometimes thousands of young and old Jews, you know, with their prayer books, their scripture books, and they're praying. They're praying for the Messiah to come. Well, she told us something really fascinating in the context of how earnest they are about reading the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, and memorizing. She said they intentionally avoid one whole chapter out of the Old Testament. Specifically, they will not look at it. They, of course, refuse to read it or study it. One chapter. And that chapter was written by none other than the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was a very prominent prophet around 700 BC. And she said the chapter that no practicing Jew will read is from Isaiah 53. What's in Isaiah 53? Well, Isaiah 53 is none other than the dramatic prophecy of a suffering servant, a picture of how the Messiah is going to suffer. He's going to suffer pain and shame and rejection and sickness, and he's going to be crushed for our sin. He's going to take on our sin, the sin of all, and finally die our death. A Messiah who was born to suffer. Well, why did the Jews reject this? Well, when you understand the Israeli history, they have a rich, rich prophetic history. That means like a lot of the Old Testament is prophecy. And many of these prophecies are all about maybe like 300, at least, some think as many as 500, prophesying the arrival of an amazing Messiah, an anointed Savior, who will finally, once and for all, deliver them from their enemies. And they had a lot of enemies. <laughs> you know, they were persecuted, they were oppressed, they were enslaved, they were sent into exile. No, they are looking for a Messiah, a conquering king who would deliver them, usher in a messianic age. Finally, peace, prosperity, justice, righteousness. That, that prophesied Messiah, let me tell you, he was a super savior, not a suffering servant. So for centuries, and they, I mean, you have to give them a lot of credit. They've hung on for centuries Soberly, some are still waiting for that Messiah. Now, the Hebrew word Messiah simply means anointed one. It's the equivalent in the Greek is Christ. Christ means anointed one. And in the Hebrew culture, their, their government, they would anoint their kings with oil. And that signified they were to rule as representative of God. So this rich prophetic history the widespread hope that one day a king from David's line established David's dynasty, sit on the throne in Jerusalem, rule with righteousness, peace, prosperity, and all of Israel's enemies would be defeated. 
their savior is a super savior. He's no suffering servant. So Isaiah 53, no. To make it even more confusing, the same Isaiah, who spoke many prophecies, spoke a very memorable prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. We sing it, but you can see now why they're confused. When we look at this prophecy, he's prophesying about the birth of a child who would be this deliverer, this Messiah. And this is what Isaiah wrote. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Folks, this is stunning. I mean, I know we sing it, but let me tell you, this was a stunning prophetic hope that any serious Jew had. Absolutely. There was so much oppression, so much pain, so much suffering. One day, the Messiah, the anointed one, would be born to what? Save them from their enemies. He's no wimpy suffering servant. No, he's a mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. <laughs> this, this guy is amazing. That hope was a profound prophetic hope. Okay, now we're going to fast forward. You know, just a mere seven centuries. <laughs> How long have you held on to your last prophetic word? Seven minutes? You know, seven months? <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> okay, no. They're still holding on to the prophetic hope. And then Luke records for us right there in chapter one, you know, after centuries of exile and oppression, and there was like 400 centuries of prophetic silence since Malachi the prophet spoke. There hadn't been any more prophetic words from the Lord. All of a sudden, an angel breaks through to the priest, Zechariah, Jewish priest, Zechariah. He's an old guy. You've heard of him. He and his wife, Elizabeth, have no children, and the angel announces Elizabeth will conceive. She will give birth to John, who, of course, we know as John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah and the cousin of Jesus, the Messiah. Well, as soon as John is born, you can read what Zechariah did. I love this. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So like the Holy Spirit has now made an appearance, <laughs> okay? He's been kind of in the background for a long time. Now the Holy Spirit fills him, and this is what Zechariah is going to prophesy. He's going to speak the words of God about this Messiah who was born to save. Luke 1, 67, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be what? Saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Yes, the, the Messiah is coming. Israel's gonna be saved from all of our enemies and all who hate her. He is born to save, just as the prophets foretold. There's a flurry of activity, right? 
and Gabriel appears to Mary, Holy Spirit conceives Jesus, boom, now we're into Luke chapter two, Mary and Joseph have traveled to Bethlehem, and while they're there, Luke tells us, the time came for her baby to be born. And there were shepherds, they were just watching their flocks when the skies filled with angelic hosts. They're just praising the glory of God shown all around. The shepherds are terrified. And what do the angels say? The angel says, don't be afraid. I bring you tidings of great joy. And what is that? Here we go. Are you ready? Verse 11, the Savior, the Messiah. Yes, the Messiah. The Lord has been born today (laughs) in Bethlehem, the city of David. Savior's been born. (sighs) Oppression is going to cease. The enemies are going to be defeated. Oh, and you know what the scripture tells us? They basically were like, come and see. Wait, come on, see, let's go. And they were running off to Bethlehem and the angel said, wait, there's going to be a sign. You don't want to miss this. This is the sign. You will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. That's the sign. Naked, wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a manger, born to save. But little did they know, this mighty Messiah, this Savior, would grow to become a man hang naked on a cross, be wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a tomb. You see, he was born to suffer. And so many missed this Messiah. Why? Let's have mercy Because he didn't overthrow the Romans who were overtaxing them and oppressing them and enslaving them. He didn't overthrow the Romans. He did not establish his throne in Jerusalem. He wasn't reigning victoriously with righteousness and justice. He was not a savior king. He's an imposter. Crucify him. And that's exactly what they did. They did not believe the Messiah was born to suffer. (laughs) To suffer in our place. But that's exactly what Isaiah prophesied 700 years earlier in Isaiah 53. This Messiah, oh yeah, he's born to save us, but he was born to suffer. He's born to save us, not from our earthly enemies, and that can be hard. I mean, we don't really know that too much here in America, okay? But it can be confusing. It can be hard. And there's times, obviously, we're delivered from our enemies, absolutely. But he was born to suffer and save us from the real enemies, right? Satan himself, sin, selfishness, sickness, shame, rejection, all of it, he was born to save us. Well, that's what Isaiah told us. 
Let's look just for a moment. We can't read the whole chapter, the rejected chapter of Isaiah 53 about our rejected Savior, but we can get a beautiful picture of the one who was born to suffer. Isaiah 53, 3. He, Jesus, was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The Hebrew word there unequivocally is sickness. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, our sicknesses, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgression, our rebellion. He was crushed, he was bruised for our iniquities. That's our guilt. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The word healed there is Rapha, which, you know, Yahweh revealed himself all throughout the Old Testament as none other than Yahweh Rapha, the Lord, your physician. The forbidden chapter. The one who was born to save was born to suffer. Took on our sin, our sicknesses, our sorrow, our guilt, our shame, our rejection, our death. And will one day raise us from the grave. Which brings me to the third part of that stanza. Will one day raise us from the grave. But here's where still many miss this Messiah who was born to raise us from the grave now. Now, I agree. Obviously, one day, for those of us who have died, we will be raised from the grave, if our lives belong to Jesus, for sure. I mean, Happy and I, we have our burial plots right over here at Woodlawn Cemetery, and one day, we're going to be lowered in the grave. Not too soon, I hope, but we will be lowered into the grave, and we await resurrection by Jesus, born to raise us from the grave. But just as the Jews missed the Messiah due to his suffering, we often miss his incredible work of raising us from the grave now. What do I mean? Well, for years, actually, long after I said yes to Jesus as Savior, I struggled with the old sinful Diane, the jealous, angry, critical, overbearing <laughs> Diane. And I tried my best to make her good enough and present myself to God. Then in 2010, I began to fully understand, thank you, Holy Spirit, what am I doing? That Diane died. She was crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, raised with Christ, ascended with Christ. I'm a brand new person. Why am I staying in the grave trying to fix myself up? You know, the Apostle Paul writes about this incredible truth, this new identity of being raised up now. He writes about it all throughout his letters. Let me just read a, a snippet from Romans 6, 6. He said, we know that our old self was crucified with him. 
You were on that cross. I was on that cross. Do I understand it? No, but who can understand God? Okay, we know our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. So this is what you must do, says Paul. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We have been raised from the grave. That's worth clapping about. To walk in newness of life. What do we often say? We have been born again, right? We've been born again. We now have a new identity as a righteous son or daughter of the living God made possible by that shed blood of the suffering servant on the cross of Calvary. And now we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered to live a new life. But you're going to have to consider yourself dead to sin. Probably at least 10 times a day. Let me give you a recent illustration. (laughs) Okay. Most of you know I love my husband dearly. No, I do. I do. I mean, you don't stay married to somebody for 51 years if you don't. Okay. Now, he has a lot of quirks. And one of these quirks, it's a good quirk. He's fastidious about backing out of the garage onto the driveway into the street. And so it's like, you know, watching. Is there, are there any children? That's good. You know, any other vehicles or another car in the driveway? Okay, I think that's great. But what I don't like is every time I take the wheel and he's sitting next to me, he's like, die. Now watch out. I'm, heck, I'm not 16. Thank you. <laughs> I've been backing out of this garage for a long time. Thank you very much. Okay. Okay, well, Monday of this week, I get a call. It's half. Die. You're not going to believe what happened. He's out in Muhammad working at our son Jay's house. He said, I backed out of the driveway and I hit Jay's mailbox. I'm like, what's the big deal? So you hit a mailbox. It's okay. You're okay? Yeah, I'm okay, but you don't understand, I. When I hit the mailbox, the entire glass of my SUV shattered and the entire tailgate imploded. I'm like, no, I, I didn't say that. I went, What? You who preach at me, all of them. I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It's not always that funny, but I did forgive him. $2,000 to replace? Never mind, never mind. I'm a righteous daughter of the Almighty God. Let me circle back to where I began. Just as the Jews were confused by a suffering Messiah, we too were often confused by suffering in the world and in our own lives, right? But you know, we don't have a promise of a pain-free life. Not now. Oh, no, that's Apostle John said in Revelation 21. There's going to come a day when the king will sit on the throne in Jerusalem and every tear will be wiped away. No more sorrow, no more pain. But for now, we live in the tension of two kingdoms. 
Okay, the kingdom of darkness is here. The kingdom of light is far more powerful, but the tension is real. But we have a savior (laughs) and he's made it possible for us to be raised up from the grave now, to be born again as a righteous son or daughter, all our sins forgiven, full of the Holy Spirit, the Prince of Peace himself living inside of us and empowering us to walk through all of life because he lives in us. You know, right before he died, he knew what he was facing. He spoke to his disciples. He said, I've told you all this so that trusting me, that's the key, folks, trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace, because in this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. But take heart. I've conquered the world. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That naked baby wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a manger is the same man, crucified, pain-filled, suffering, naked, on a cross, wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a tomb, who rose victorious and said, I have conquered the world. Born to suffer, born to save, born to raise us from the grave. Let me finish my story about Harry. Harry, who I told you was raised in a Hindu home in another country, had a maid named Rosie. Rosie shared her faith in Jesus. Okay, I love that, that she did that. But he didn't know Jesus, okay? He didn't know Jesus. And now as a young boy, struggling and tormented and in all kinds of just, you know, emotional pain, he said, one day I just cried out, help, help. And he heard a voice. He said, the voice was full of laughter and even joy. I love that. And the voice said, Harry, I see you. I hear you. Now listen, I want you to continue working as hard as you've been working. You see, a word from God is never an excuse to just sit around, okay? Okay, won't go there. Okay, keep working as hard as you've been working, and I'll do the rest. From that day forward, he said, things did begin to change. He didn't struggle as much. Learning came easier. He passes tests. He, he's learning. His classmates are, are no longer mocking him, making fun of him. He said, now I'm going to tell you something, Diane, and I'm not bragging. He goes, I'm giving glory to Jesus. I go, okay. He said, just recently, I was one of the youngest people ever appointed full professor at my university in medical research. Yeah, suffering, yeah. Pain, yeah. Confusion, yeah. But Harry had come to faith in Jesus. That 
that God that his maid Rosie shared with him, he recognized that was the voice that he heard that made the difference in his life. He's now a 100% Holy Spirit filled <laughs> believer in Jesus. Now, that Savior who was born to suffer, born to save, born to raise him from a grave, a grave of failure, of torment, you know, of learning disability. <laughs> that same Savior, that's the one today that we say, come and see. Come and see what God has done. Come and see the one who was born to suffer, born to save, born to raise each one of us from the grave. We will worship you today, Lord. We will worship you. We will give you all the honor. We give you all of our confusion, all of our doubt, and all of our fear. We thank you for childlike faith today as we worship you. In your name, amen.